Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So my idea, my first idea is, yeah, let's all carry on lying. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Perfect. And society will stay intact. So that's good. Yes. <laughs> and we'll all have a social life. And we'll- Hello and welcome to The World As It Should Be, a podcast in which we ask our guests to tell us what they would change to help create their perfect world. By listening to what they'd like to change, we'll hear more about who they are, what they do and what inspires them. This podcast is brought to you by the team behind Prima Donna, a uniquely anarchic and joyous festival of everything creative. My name is Shona Abianka and I'm a book publicist working with some of the most thought-provoking authors writing today. I'm Catherine Riley, a writer and director of the festival. We're delighted to be your guides on this podcast adventure. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Adele Parks is one of the most loved and biggest selling women's fiction writers in the UK. Her first novel was published in 2000 and since then she sold 4 million books and been translated into more than 30 different languages. Adele has published 20 best-selling novels in 20 years, including the number one bestsellers Lies, Lies, Lies and Just My Luck. She is a proud ambassador for the National Literacy Trust and the reading agency's Six Book Challenge, which encourages less confident readers to fall in love with their books. Adele is a judge for the Costa Book Awards and the British Book Awards. Her next book, Both of You, will be published on the 27th of May. Adele, welcome to the podcast. We're very Hello, happy to be here. Very happy, very excited to have you here. So before we get started on your version of The World As It Should Be, would you like to tell us about Both of You, as I know it's a hotly anticipated release? Well, yes, but I'm pretty unpracticed. I think this is the first time I've spoken um, about it. Really? Which is super, yes, which is super exciting. Um, So Both of You is the story of two different women who both go missing from London within the same week. Um, One of them is Lee Fletcher. She's happily married stepmom of two sort of tween age boys. She goes missing on Monday. She just goes to work and just doesn't come home. And her husband says he knows nothing about her whereabouts. Uh, The the family is shattered. Then we meet um, Kai Jansen. She's married to a wealthy Dutch businessman. He, um, you know, too good looking for his own good. Very, uh, they live in a penthouse, very different lifestyle altogether. But she vanishes the same week. And whilst there doesn't seem to be a connection between these two women, anyone who's ever lived in any city, it doesn't have to be London, but I think in particular in London, we can live cheek by jowl with very, very different types of people. Um, And the female detective in charge of the case, uh, while she's very aware that sadly people do go missing, people run away from things, people run towards things, um, some, that there's no reason to connect these two women, but at a gut level, she believes they are connected. And the book is about what is their connection. Wow, that sounds amazing. Well, I hope so. There's so many twists and turns in this book that I am terrified of giving anything away. There's about <laughs> five things I could have given away in just that introduction. So I was speaking very carefully, which as you'll see throughout this uh, podcast, I speak very fast most of the time and not particularly carefully. And suddenly I have to be a bit more aware because I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, spoiler alert. So mm. uh, that sounds like from what you've just said, it's a very complicated plot. How how do you go about writing your books? Do you have, is it a post-it note wall? Like how do you, how do, you do it? Um, I'm quite the 
planner, I um, books stay in my head for a long time before I uh, commit them to any kind of paper. Uh, the, the truth is, people quite often say, you know, 20 books, 20 years, this is my 21st book, how do you get the ideas? And I say, actually, the problem isn't getting the ideas. You quite often get an idea, but once you start to examine it, you realise it's not a strong enough idea. It might be a short story or a poem. It might not necessarily be a novel. So I keep books in my head and play with them for quite a long time and play with the characters for quite a long time. Then I commit to paper via a good old-fashioned spidergram. Do you remember those as a child at school? Yes. And you'd sort of, with this one, I put both of you at the the sort of center of the page in a circle and then I had Kai's name going one way and Lee another way and sort of then constructed their families around these two women and then the detective and then started making the links between them the next stage for me is I jot out what will or won't happen in in the in chapters and that's usually not much more than a line per chapter and then after all of that which will take a few months when I'm absolutely chewing at the bit and want to get go, I will finally allow myself to write. And then theoretically, it ought to write itself. You know, if you've got that level of plan and most of the time they do, most of the time they work quite well for me. That's amazing. So the actual writing process is quite quick. It's the, it's the Mm, formulation, the the gestation of the story, I guess. Also very interesting that you, do you normally come up with the titles and the character names at the beginning? Because sometimes I know authors, they have no idea what they're going to be called or what the titles should be. Yes, I think it varies. Um, Character names I'm normally pretty good at and I normally invest um some level of meaning in my characters names um whether that's their surnames or or you know uh, birth names but i i don't always know the title and even if i think i know the title of my book my publishers might not think i know the title <laughs> of the book and um, this one was always going to be either both of you or both of them Right. Um, and we just quite like, I think we all agreed quite early on that both of you, um, which sort of when you write it quickly, it says boy, and that was easier than bot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was something as infantile as that that uh, helped us choose this title. It's also very powerful. I remember that Netflix series called You, which I don't know if you saw. Yes, but yes, was that which creepy? Is awesome. yes. yes, but it's a very powerful word, isn't it, to have? Yes. It is. It's frightening. And we all immediately put ourselves in that position. So are they, you know, it's that feeling of, oh, so is the author talking to me? Could I be this person? Um, could Could I be one of the women? Could I be one of the husbands? You know, so there's all sorts of levels. I think if you use me or you or any of those kind of things where them it sort of removes what once more. So actually the title takes quite some thinking about. I'm I'm actually, I mean, I was joking about my publishers there. I mean, the truth is I adore my publishers and I'm very, very open to any suggestion they have because I know we've both got the same aim, which is producing the best book possible, packaging it in the best possible way and getting it out to the largest possible audience. And I think that's quite interesting because I think that's not necessarily what you possibly believe at the beginning of your career um where there is a bit more of a them and us situation or you believe there to be um and I'm always saying to debut authors honestly the publishers are on your side they're not trying to catch you out yeah it's very true and also I think we forget sometimes it's not just about the marketing but sometimes publishers will have 
inside knowledge of what else is coming out around the same time. Yes, and it is, there could a be a very similar or, title. Yeah. yeah. I think with my publishers that I would fully expect them to just tell me that and then I'd immediately go, oh, okay, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, I'm dying to know whether any of the characters are based on people you know. Hmm. Um, do you know what? I don't write other people's stories, um, largely because it's a really great way to lose friends. And I've written more <laughs> books than I've got friends. Um, so, so I don't think that's a really good option. But um, the, the truth is your friends who you know very, very well are, of course, you know, you love them and they're fascinating because they're your friends. But you do know their backstory. But interestingly, they are usually, hopefully, God willing, still in the middle of their story. And therefore, they don't neatly package themselves up with the um, beginning, middle and end the way it is rather necessary to do in a novel. So I found my friends are desperately uncooperative in comparison to the characters I make up. Um, so, but I do magpie pick things from certain people. And there are people, and sometimes I meet people just for a very short period of time in the days when we were having sort of live uh, events, I would quite often see somebody in an audience and think, gosh, you're fascinating and sort of zone in on them and think either something about their physicality or a twitch they might have or a question they might ask. And because I don't know that person, it's much easier for me to make up a character around them. So that's more likely what I, I do. I, I pick up little bits of, of people I know Um I, you know, or in this case, when I, ha so I have a police person. And so, of course, I had to research police people. And then you start talking to them and think, oh, you've all got a bit of a way of talking to each other and a bit of a, a use of language that I really need to, to incorporate. So I would say my character, my, my DC, that she's an amalgamation of several police people that I spoke to. Last summer, I, I climbed up Ben Nevis. Wow. Was, yeah, Can I'm I not say, say first off. Such a show off. Let's have that. I'm not, that's, that's the end of the story. No, no, no. I, that's the tweet. And I got to the top and there was a man who I was starting the descent and he was still walking up, up towards me and he was in full lycra in every colour of lycra I've ever seen. And he had... Um, he had mirrored shades on and a pot belly and he just was really extraordinary looking. And he had a tattoo that said living the dream to the extreme <gasps> wow. on him. And, and I, and, and he, as we walked past him, he saw that he was nearly at the summer and he just whispered to himself, Oh, thank God. Like, oh, <laughs> and I remember brilliant. thinking I'll never forget it. Like if I ever need to write an extraordinary walker into a story that I'm writing, then like, that's the guy that, you know, wow. those, those, so you, yeah, I understand. And that also kind of, immediately I'm thinking, right. So he's making such a statement. Yeah. So careful. Yeah. Something has happened. Absolutely. Exactly. What's yeah. his backstory? Who yeah. did he lose? What did he, yeah. you know, I'm not saying this particular. No, I very much but, assumed know. there was a, a wife that there's left a reason. Him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I understand Fascinating. that. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that kind of segues quite nicely, Adele, onto the first of the what, three ways that we ask our guests how you would change the world to make it as it should be. Could you tell us the first way you would change the world? Well, I had a giggle to myself after I came up with this idea because when I came up with it, I thought it was a brilliant idea, which is um, that we were all going to be born without the ability to lie. But then I realised I would be out of a job. <laughs> I we would all be out of, a job. out of a job. Because, you know, not only are my plots nearly 100, well, they are 100% 
dependent on my characters lying. But of course, actually, I get paid to professionally lie, (laughs) that I make things up for a living. I am a liar for a living, you know. So after me saying, you know, it'd be really good in the world if, you know, we were all born not able to lie, I thought, actually, it'd probably be devastating and quite chaotic. Do you Um, know what, though? If we were allowed to lie for a living, so if you could write a book and your mm. character could say everything, then there'd be many more books in the world. Well, yes. And I suppose we'd all, we depend more heavily as well on uh, on fiction because we'd all be quite boring. <laughs> we'd have, you know, the whole, but it would be, the reason I thought the world would be better if you couldn't lie, how much confusion come uh, is dependent on people telling one another lies but you know there are some lies that are very helpful and um you know save feelings and um you know we all tell that one too I don't know our mothers how are you I'm fine (laughs) I've been lying to my mother forever I'm fine everything's brilliant my life's amazing because that's what comforts her that's what she needs to hear what is the worst lie you've told either to your mum or anyone I think the lies, they're so bad that I feel, <laughs> I feel that if I, like I'm doing quite well as a person right now, like most people quite like me if I start telling you the lies I tell. Um, I've told all sorts of lies in my time. I've told lies about, um, well, everything. I don't think, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think there's anything in my life I haven't ever lied about at some point or other. Isn't that terrible? And I consider myself as a really decent, honest human being. But I think there's nearly, I've done all the lies, you know, like when you don't turn up for work on time and you say, oh, traffic, or I've done the the lies where even with your best friend, I am going to lose all my friends after this, but even (laughs) with my best friend where you just can't really be bothered to go around their house that night, but you tell them that, you know, something major's cropped up in your family and then you get masses of sympathy for weeks and you feel dreadful, you know. So I have told lies about health. I've told lies about, I mean, when I was a lot younger, I have told lies about who I don't do or don't love, which I think is a major one, you know, and I think most of us have done that. Um, there've been men I've been in love with that I haven't told I love them. There've been men I've uh, not loved and it's just for ease. I've said that I do. I mean, that's a terrible thing. I'm, I'm mortified. I, a lot younger human being, but yeah, I think I have lied for ease many a time. Yeah. It never is easy. It never is. It always causes trouble. I'm actually married to an incredibly honest person and my sister's incredibly honest. It's very, very infuriating. <laughs> Both of them are incredibly infuriating. And interestingly, neither of them drink. So they don't even do that sort of mm. lie where you just embellish a really funny story to make it even funnier. <laughs> so you can't even ply them with wine no, or beer? I, no, no, they're both really straight. <laughs> See, I mean, normally we we fully endorse, you know, the three things that people come on and, and, and I, I can't I'm get t- and I I've talked myself it. out of it. I know. I, I came up with it. I thought it was really brilliant. And then I thought, no, it's dreadful. I'm really shooting myself. No, I, I understand entirely the sentiment behind it because, of course, we're lied to all the time in, 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 in not kind. I meant right, politics. You know. of yeah, course. I kind yeah, of, and social when media. When I first started it, yes. That's, yeah. When I came up with it, I thought, oh, it'd be really good <laughs> just to have, like, you know, the, the government not lying to us or just knowing real statistics about things or the yeah. press or whatever it would be. And now I'm going, no. 
no, it's awful. No, I, I don't think I'd. I, d- I don't think I'd have lived this old. No, no, no relationships would survive. No, no, no friendships would. Yeah. So anyway, it's a no, great we'll idea. It. Ditch, ditch it. Just ditch it. Fine. So my idea, my first idea is, yeah, let's all carry on lying. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. And society will stay intact. So that's good. Yes. And we'll all have a social life and we'll have friends. Yes. <laughs> Marriages will also stay intact. It's all good. Correct. Okay. Um, let's move on to your second um wish for a better world? Well, interesting. I suppose these are a little bit related because I think at the moment, and I said at the moment, I would say in the last year, maybe two, might be pre-pandemic. I can't remember because I fade out pre-pandemic right now because it's too painful to visit. But, um, but I think there's a lot of talk at the moment about people acting kindly and people pay a lot of lip service to it, but I'm not sure how kind we actually are. Um, and I think it would be really lovely if we all actually acted kindly, but didn't talk about it. You know, just didn't talk about it. It went back to very old fashioned sort of values of doing lovely, kind, charitable, decent human being things, but not talking about it. Yeah. And actually going back to the to the pandemic, um, at the beginning of, uh, well, uh, March and April last year, people did kind of spontaneously start being kind to one another they were looking out for their neighbor you know that that mm. it, i'm not sure I'm not, I'm not saying it should take a global pandemic to provoke <laughs> this seismic shift but yeah absolutely um there's yeah they did they did and i'm sure they do and let's hope we all are still being kind to one another and we've just got bored of talking about it but mm. i did I get to the point where i was thinking it's actually it feels to me if you if you're pointing out that you're taking jam to your neighbours, you've almost <laughs> negated the fact you took jam to your neighbour. Um, really you know, true, yeah. you know, they, they just felt a little bit of a little bit exhausted. And also, with a are you bunch. lying? Did you actually take jam to your neighbour? <laughs> well, can I say, in all honesty, my neighbour does bring ja- marmalade to me, and nice. God love her, she's in her eighties. Oh, she's, I know. She's not tweeting reversal. that. Throughout, no, she's not. No, she's really not. <laughs> she's but just doing it. Throughout the pandemic, she kept bringing me marmalade, and I kept saying, "Anne, it's really meant that to be so way on love." Yeah. Wow, you must have a lot of marmalade left over. Well, luckily, my well, I say luckily, <laughs> un- unluckily for my son, he was sent home from university, and he's got a really good appetite for marmalade, which is why the oh, lovely neighbour makes it because she knows she's making it for my son, who she's known oh, that's from so being nice. a little tiny child. So yes, so there's there's, there's, a, there's a lot of layers to that so i'm um, i before we spoke today um adele i spoke to somebody who is a mutual a mutual friend of ours and i said what's the best thing about adele and i'm going to embarrass you a little bit now and and she said unprompted well that was the prompt rather she said her answer was adele is super kind that was her fir- the first thing she said and then she went on to say she is a patron for the national literary literacy trust and a real supporter she genuinely loves her readers and she is a very generous and brave writer and a team player also she's written 20 books in 20 years <laughs> um, can you guess who wrote that i think it's lisa it's lisa her, milton yes. yeah. her check <laughs> is in the post <laughs> isn't that lovely though that's the first thing she said was that she mentioned your kindness so i thought it was great that she said that because that was one of the things that you value obviously most i do value it. i think you know if you uh, that thing you know 
most of us were brought up being told, if you've nothing kind to say, yeah. don't speak at all. Well, I don't think that's absolutely true. I think we are allowed to speak, mum, just saying. <laughs> I, have, I have opinions that might not be in line with yours. But, um, but I do think that uh, I, I catch myself doing it. If I am snappy or, you know, and I am, I, I was today, I was snappy about something. And then I thought, that's just really mean. You didn't need to do that. So I always try and come back from it and say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. And Let's move on. Um, and I think everybody, you, it always works. It's equally if you see somebody in a street really angry or somebody honks the horn at you. If you honk back, that's going to end badly. If you kind of go, oh, sorry, or my bad, or whatever it might be, or just shrug. If it wasn't your bad, just shrug. But uh, yeah, you can get through it. Don't take responsibility for other people's bad. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I think <laughs> kindness, is a, kindness is a good thing. Do you think kindness is a good thing to write about? Like lots of your books are dark. Obviously, no. Do you think it's a more ex- more interesting mm. reader experience to write about unkindness? Do you know the strange thing is? I think more people are kind than are unkind. I think generally speaking, we're pretty decent as a as as a as a being as beings, and so we are. More, we know kindness. Where shocking things that happen in my novels, you know, really frightening um betrayals and uh, double crossings and all that sort of thing it's quite exciting for people to read and I you know certainly exciting to write and I hope it's exciting to read because it's unlike us and I think that's why people like exploring thrillers or domestic noir call them what you will because um we like to look at our dark side but generally speaking Whilst I have a slightly different view of, uh, but take just my look, the last book, not the one that's coming out, but the last book, that that whole premise was about how money can rip people apart. Um, Somebody wins the lottery, everybody else wants a share. I talked to endless lottery winners to research that and heard, you know, an awful lot of sort of sensationalized headline grabbing stories about unkindness and cruelty because of money. But in the background, quietly, people were saying, oh, yeah, but I bought my uh, sister a house and um, I sent my son to uh, my nephew to through uni or I donated to charities. or So there was a lot of really good stuff just happening in the background. That wouldn't make me a novel, I'm afraid. Yeah. They want, you know, we want a bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, kidnaps and extortion and adulteries and deceits and we want it all yeah but just like it wouldn't make the headlines would it you'd you'd want something a bit darker and a bit more shocking yes you want a vicarious experience of unkindness Mm. rather than the actual experience quite and I suppose it's like um if you go on a fairground ride and we all love sort of being terrified on a roller coaster but it's terrifying because we know we're on a roller coaster and it's a ride and it's going to stop none of us would really like to be in that kind of car chase or you know for real yeah do you think reading helps us be kinder? Yes, I do. I mm. absolutely do. Um, and I'm not alone in thinking that. That has been sort of researched. And uh, um, I, I, I think a number of reasons. If if you don't read, you live one life, really. You live your own life. And if you do read, and this isn't my quote, I can't even remember where I read it. I read it dozens of years ago, but I believe it firmly. If you do read, you get to live hundreds of lives. And that increases your ability to be empathetic and sympathetic and see things from different viewpoints. And that is 
so important um, as part of kindness because it, it's easier to be kind if you think, gosh, they might be having a really lousy day too, mm. you know, rather than just being about yourself. So I do think reading helps with that. Um, reading helps with so many things, you know, obviously it's entertaining, obviously it's educational, but I think one of the most exciting things about reading, and it isn't often talked about, but I do talk about it with my work with the National Literacy Trust and the reading agency, is it's incredibly empowering. It helps you find your voice. Um, it gives you, you know, not only gives helps you develop a vocabulary so you can express yourself with more nuance, but besides that, it helps you understand enough of the world to think that's the bit I agree with, that's the bit I don't agree with. I want to talk about that, um, which I think is exciting. It is. Which books have you read that made you think, wow, that's an amazing character? Or was there a light bulb moment of a book you read and you thought, I want to write? Uh, I wanted to write since I was um, about six years old. And it was suggested to me by a librarian, which I love the fact that <laughs> my uh, my entire career is down to a librarian. So my um, my sister's three years older than I am. So it is the lot of the younger child to, to always uh, be waiting around. And we had a little local library near our school. So my mum quite sensibly said, wait around in the library. And so I visited the library every day and read an awful lot. And so quite early on, I think I was about six or seven, a librarian said to me, do you think one day you might grow up and become an author? And I didn't understand what the word author was. And I was mortified because I quite considered myself, you know, quite the reading buff age seven, <laughs> really felt I ought to know every word there was, but actually did say, oh, I don't know what that is. And she said, oh, wait one moment. And she rushed off and came back with an Enid Blyton. And, and in those days, and I think possibly still now, there's the sort of the signature of the Enid Blyton signature written on the, on the bottom of the book. Yeah. And she said, you see, the lady who wrote this, she signed it and she wrote this just for you. And for many, many years, oh. I actually did think Enid Blyton was sat at home just writing <laughs> for me. Um, <laughs> Slightly slow processing there, but um, but eventually, but it just suggested that there was this uh, this job, this amazing job where somebody would make something up. So I suspect the Magic Faraway Tree was the book that uh, oh, most influenced me. Such but a going good book. on, there's been I mean, there's been hundreds. I remember reading uh, behind the scenes of the museum. At the museum, Kate, yes, Kate Atkinson's, yeah. mm. and just thinking, wow, you know, I I understood everything and nothing at the same time and that completely blew my mind because it was at the time you know a very um different way of looking at books uh, uh looking at characters and looking at how we form as characters and I think the the book starts with Ruby in the womb and it was just so challenging but on the other hand I felt because I'm a northern she's an northerner and um I'm very overly involved in my um matriarchal family or certain, and certainly was then and I just thought these are all my the, every one of these people in my family there's something of, of all of us in there which showed how brilliant she was so I think that's one of the books I always go back to and still absolutely love and particularly the character of Ruby who is laugh out loud and, and incomprehensible and brilliantly well known at the same time. Mm. Have you ever been sort of intimidated by somebody else's writing into not being able to write? Has that ever you know, had experience? you know, I am ridiculously vain because somebody <laughs> once asked me a few years ago, somebody said, have you ever 
suffer from imposter syndrome. And I said, oh, what's that? Completely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, it is. On a feminist level, it's really great. On a kind of knowing what's going on in the world level, probably not so clever of me because I probably should be aware that other people feel intimidated that way. No, is my quick answer. No. If I read a book that is significantly better than anything I could write and it's absolutely genius I'm just so glad and thrilled for that person and and glad to be entertained and and think the only person I'm ever in competition with and I mean this quite genuinely is myself although I run a tough competition with myself and I'm pretty hard on myself but I I love seeing other people's success it doesn't intimidate me it doesn't put me off I mean I suppose if I'm really really honest with myself and if I could remember clearly enough and I wasn't sort of vague and 52 and I suspect when I was about 26 because I think it's a very hard decade your 20s I suspect there will have been times then when I, I read all the time I read ferociously and I um I suspect there will have been moments then that I thought oh gosh I'll never be this good and then I thought oh never mind push on yeah so you know so I think that is the answer and I would say that to everybody else it would be the most depressing thing on earth for me if a debut novelist or a a hoping to get published novelist said to me oh I feel put off because of what you've written I would say no 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 go for it you know yeah well thank goodness for that librarian she sounds amazing (gasps) do you know I think I met her Yes, she claimed, I mean, I can't remember because I was such a young child, but I was telling the story at a reading agency event to, I think, 500 librarians. And she said that could well have been, she didn't say, I definitely said those words. She said that could well have been me because I worked in that tiny little um, library in um, Eagles Cliff in those years and so I said have it and she said I'm taking it so it was <laughs> oh quite funny God, little you see that was one of those little lies where that we could have been a total like that was me definitely yes. she didn't say that was me definitely but because I think you know maybe she suggested that to 50 kids maybe she was just like an amazing wonderful woman <laughs> yeah, that encouraged lots of people mm. and and also that's a bit of a learning isn't it just keep telling kids they can do anything yeah just suggest yeah. things to them so you know so I suspect it was a a really big moment for me and a, a normal working day for her <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lovely story though that is lovely and actually Adele I must say that I think I sat on a table with you at for a National Literacy Trust event and Julie Cooper was on the same table oh yes yes I think and- I've flitted in and out of that table because they move yes, you around don't they? that's yes. right and yes. then you because you're one of the star guests I think you were on our table for a bit and then we're all very excited and then you off you went to another table oh. and it was like oh where's she gone <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> they do that it was great um, Jonah, do any of your literary stories not involve jilly cooper <laughs> they ought not can i say because i feel that number. should be our bar we should all have <laughs> i feel that's what we should all say i actually saw that i know what event you mean because i literally mm. saw that photo the other day of me leaving and jilly grabbing me and giving me a big kiss on the cheek Aww. and she literally hadn't only the first night she met me that was that night but she's just so generous what and a giving. legend yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah. No, none of my stories don't involve Jilly Cooper in answer to well a question. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to number three, Adele, and it's a little bit more serious. But um, can you talk us through what your third idea would be to change the world? It is, and it is a little bit more serious, um, but it is, I, I think these are all tied. Uh, I think the theme I keep coming back to is what, is what we're allowed to say and what we do say. And I think... 
there's another sort of wave that's happening that worries me as a writer um, and and as a human being, actually, um, that there is an increased propensity towards a cancel culture, uh, whereby we cancel people that we disagree with. And I think that's heartbreaking, actually. I think it's a very huge step back for uh, humankind because there are a lot of people I disagree with. I can't tell you how many, most of them, to be honest. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of people I disagree with. But I have found in life the people I disagree with, if I am prepared to sit and listen to them, I learn something. I do not always end up agreeing with them at the end of the conversation, but I might understand them a little bit more and therefore move closer to a more peaceable environment and certainly a sense of personal peace. And um, and so I don't think, um, I don't want to name names here. I'm very, very nervous. You see, I'm very nervous. <laughs> we were going to ask you to name names. Uh, okay, well, all right, I will then. <laughs> Because I'm also very honest. But for instance, I don't think any of us should cancel Piers Morgan. Even oh, come though come on. Do you see? No, I don't. I don't. I think Piers ought to go out there and rant and rave as much as he likes. Hmm. And and interestingly, and this shocks me, that's what he thinks too. Mm. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. cancel anyone because yeah. he thinks, "Oh, go off." His I'm paraphrasing, and please don't sue me, Piers, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> but um, you know, he thinks, "Oh, go off, you snowflakey wokey types, and and have your stupid opinions that I disagree with." That's what he thinks, but he doesn't mind people who disagree with him having those opinions. Now we might think, "Well." Our opinions are not stupid or wokey or snowflakey. Our opinions are really valid. But he has a different one, so we can't cancel him. We can't just say, I want to shut you out because you disagree with me. Because that's like being four-year-old. I'm sorry, it really is. It's like a toddler that closes their eyes and puts their hands over their ears and says things like, you know, you can't, and thinks they can't be seen and therefore, you know, they, if they can't see the problem, they think they can't be seen. And it's just wrong. We need to find a way where we go, thank you very much. We might need to agree to disagree. Um, you know, and, and I think that's frightening. I'll be honest. It's frightening because there's some terrible things written in the world um, and committed to paper. Um, we all have the option of not reading the things that terrify us or, you know, not not watching TV shows or channels that we disagree with or whatever, we have the option to switch off or close the book or close the newspaper. We don't, ha we shouldn't have the option to switch off the person. Do you think this move towards cancel culture, and you can kind of see the roots of it in that some of the ways, putting aside some of the topics that, you know, cause this these debates, the, the manner of debate can be so toxic that you... It is, you know, it just feels like you don't, you, you don't want to, you know, and even looking at, you know, premises question, the, the way that MPs conduct themselves. So it's a terrible example. But anyway, do you think that intelligent debate is dead? We, we've become so polarized We on Twitter and all social media, you know, we're so... You, it's you, a horrifying thought, if that is the thought, which is, is very possible. But one of the reasons um, intelligent debate is dead, I mean, there are 
countless reasons and we could we could talk about it forever now I would love to it's exciting um but one of the reasons is it's very easy now for us to pour something out on social media and just go there you go there's my opinion and you can if you want to even stop people commenting back which means you're sort of going I think I'm right here you go don't care what anyone else thinks now honestly if you think you're that right and you don't care what anyone else thinks just keep it to yourself just keep it to yourself. If you genuinely want a proper debate, then I think debates ought to have rules the way old school debating societies when you were a child and you went to those things, you know, you weren't allowed to name call, you weren't allowed to interrupt. Um, you know, there, there are points of order, check, facts have to be checked, you know, there, there were certain things that are part of a civilized debate. And I think we would all be better for civilized debate, but we don't get there because we're screaming and shouting at one another. And then the worst still, we're, we're stomping out of the room. Um, and I just think that's not allowing us to get things wrong. And all of us do get things wrong. I mean, some of my opinions over time and undoubtedly now are ludicrous and ridiculous and I get them wrong. At the moment, I obviously don't think so. But at some point, someone will teach me something more if I keep my eyes and ears and, and heart and head open. Yeah, but if I yeah. cut off people, then I will never grow. But, I mean, Piers did stomp out of the studio. Oh, yes, I'm not saying he's right either. No. Yeah, I thought that was a bit of theatre. I don't know. Personally, yeah, I'm, I'm not that convinced by that. I'm sure the man's yeah. intelligent enough to hold it together if he wanted to. Um, I think that's television for you. I think that's a totally different issue. Um, I would be, uh, you know, I, I still believe in that thing that you can just quietly and calmly decide you don't want to listen to that person. Um, which is is totally valid. You can leave a room at any point. You don't have to listen to other people. But I think what's more insidious is when you rally other people not to, because that is actually bullying. It is. And that's horrifying. Bullying yeah. is horrifying. I mean, what you're saying is very wise. I totally agree with you. But has, I'm very uh, old. You, you are not. <laughs> so are we. So are we, Adele. So, but, I mean, when you first started out, was it quite intimidating? Were there any times when you wanted to walk out or you genuinely just thought, I can't, I don't know what to say? Um, you mean in terms of starting out Your as a career. writer? Yeah. Um, I had two incidents. One that I thought was... Um, funny and one I thought was terrifying so I'll tell you the funny one which was the lovely Esther Ransom was uh, interviewing me and I thought I'd done a very good interview and I was a nervous wreck um but it was tv and I thought I'd done quite well and at the end of it she sort of should we do that again and I thought, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd done quite well and then she said and have you got wait got what she said no, have you got to change your clothes and I thought, <laughs> Oh, my Lord. And then she looked at me, and at the time, I'd just given birth, and I was breastfeeding, oh, and I'd no. leaked oh, all over. No. So I'm on national TV with a wet boob. <laughs> Marvellous. Marvellous. Oh, what a lovely woman. So did you re-record Very lovely. It? She re-recorded it. She actually got me, somebody lent me a dark jacket, because I didn't have spare clothes with me. Now I know to do that. Oh, and um, <laughs> she sent me a dark jacket so that I could wear it over the top. And then we just did it again, That's which brilliant. was adorable of her. So, yes, that was a very lovely one. Um, and um, the the less lovely one, and I remember doing um, a library event with, the again, very lovely Lisa Jewell, who had been published a year before I was, and I always thought of as sort of a big sister in the whole um, process. And she has behaved as one all the way through. She's been an amazing sport. Um, and 
we were doing this event and somebody turned and said, and how do you feel about being labeled chiclet? And honestly, I think I live in a different world quite a lot of the time because I sort of looked at it and I went, oh, what's chiclet, Lisa? Because I don't think we are, are we? I don't know what chiclet is. What's chiclet? And they thought I was being sort of sarcastic, <laughs> but I genuinely didn't. And then they sort of said, well, you know, it's about single women running around uh, town with Chardonnay looking for Mr. Wright. And I said, <laughs> Well, it doesn't, it doesn't refer, well, it, nothing, none of that's in my book. So I don't know why you've asked that question. And it was so rude of me, but I genuinely was just quite sort of like, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't get it. And Lisa sort of rescued the situation. I mean, she defended the situation as well because it was quite an, it's quite a rude thing to say. And it is still a feminist issue. And I think realistically that one has come up over and over and over again for the first, I would say, 10 years of my career. Um, and that one I do find quite tricky to negotiate. I do have quite a good answer for it now, which is if that makes it a more accessible way for some people to approach reading, which I think it does. And now my work with the National Literature Trust and the Reading Agency has explained that to me, that very, very highbrow literary books or even dark, frightening thrillers will put a lot of people off reading but if you tell them oh it's it's chiclet it's really accessible that can put people onto reading so in fact you can call me what you like sticks and stones um you know will break my bones but words don't ever hurt me is is the thought I think you were very polite to him considering the question I was just blindsided because I just was like well no I'm not that why why have you I think it was a bit sort of like oh you silly man why have you asked me that because it doesn't apply to me I think I was sort of thinking that really yeah (laughs) <laughs> but you know the same thing that I didn't I didn't really know about imposter syndrome I really need to get some of these terms under my belt and and, and be a little bit more zeitgeist or something it was probably know. refreshingly honest to be honest like to yeah. be honest with you um, so just finally, we've, we wanted to let you know that you're coming to Prima Donna Festival in July, which we're so excited Yay. about. I am and so excited. Which is great news for us. Mm. Great news for you, I think, is that there are lots and lots of charity shops in Stowmarket yes. where the festival is happening because I believe you're a keen upcycler. I am. Right? Yes. Excellent. And in fact, you know, I came, I came on um, the very first Prima Donna Festival and that's exactly what we did do. Did you? I did yeah, yes. I went to charity. I always do. I went to charity shops. I pick up a bit of glassware. I love Brilliant. that. And um, I didn't buy any cabinets. I am known for buying cabinets <laughs> and then bringing them home and doing them up and then thinking, mm, literally nowhere to put that cabinet. <laughs> um, literally nowhere. Which, can I say, is the entire conversation that my family have with me when I'm parting with the cash in the first place. Like, they'll <laughs> yeah. say, oh, where's this one going? Or... Um, yeah. Have you got a colour in mind? And, you know, <laughs> that kind of uh, trying to point out to me that literally a pink cabinet isn't going yeah. to go anywhere. Um, but I love doing it. It's very, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's quite creative. It, yeah. I think painting yeah. is, it, particularly painting is, uh, you know, it's quite repetitive and so it's easy to to switch yeah. off. And my mind quite often is still playing and quite often I upcycle while I'm thinking about plots and such. Mm, I know. Excellent. And there's also something about a good charity shop. You just, I always think about, where who did that belong to what was the story even if it's like a wedding dress or you know not that I buy wedding dresses but I just <laughs> sure. you know, I always, ever hopeful <laughs> yeah a whole wardrobe of wedding dresses actually that's, that's really funny because I always think about wedding dresses mm. in, in charity shops but I think who buys them and I've worked out I think it's, well it's not <laughs> I think well obviously it's now we know it's Shona but it's in case I, I marry Jilly Cooper in case you marry Jilly Cooper which would be an awesome and then you'd have a whole <laughs> array of dresses to choose from but I think it's Amdrams yeah 
mean, true, our yeah. drunk people often buy wedding dresses, and it makes me again. I think it's a great. There's oh, I, I might. I'm looking for a short story idea. I might use that. There you Excellent. go. Yeah, Excellent. I've got we have to go from. shopping. Thank you, women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we will all go shopping. The three of us. Oh, wedding dress sad. shopping in July. Can I just Amazing. say, I'm not just plugging this festival because it's your festival, <laughs> but it's an awesome festival oh. if there's people listening to this and thinking should i shouldn't i yes you should you should Simple as that. it was you so great wasn't it should. yeah it really you. was and it wasn't even um dependent on glorious weather so i don't want to hear that excuse from punters right mm. i want you out there right. anyhow it was the just the general vibe it was a really relaxed holiday everybody's there to have a good time it's like when you go to a comedy gig you know and yeah, everybody yeah. is there to have the best time they yeah. could possibly have. That was the festival. It, really it was, was. Yeah. It was generous. Do you know I, what? It was also very kind. Everyone was so kind to each other. Correct. Yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. So that's, um, that's the best plug we've ever had. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> we are so happy you're coming back this year. Yeah, we I really too. can't wait. Thank you so much, Adele. It's been an, a pleasure, a real pleasure to talk to you tonight. Um, and thank you for being on our podcast. Thank, thank you thank so you. much. I've had a great time. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to The World As It Should Be. We hope it inspires you to work towards shaping the world as you think it should be. You can find out more about Prima Donna Festival by going to primadonnafestival.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. Tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify too and all good platforms. The World As It Should Be from Prima Donna. as it should be from Prima Donna.